More than ever, there's an awareness of the connection between the health of banks' bottom lines and the health financially of their clients. Yet how can customers who need financial health guidance work in tandem with banks to produce a win for all? And can banks approach the issue of financial health in a way that creates a superior customer experience? To find out, we'll be talking with consumer financial health expert, Jennifer Tesher. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor at BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. It is great to have you here with us. Our podcast can be heard on iTunes, podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And today on our program, live from our studios in Chicago, we have Jennifer Tesher. Jennifer is the founder, president, and CEO of the Center for Financial Services Innovation. And as an entrepreneur, innovator, and forceful voice for change, Jennifer has focused her work and career on the idea that by aligning consumer and provider success, business can be a force for good in the lives of consumers, communities, and the economy. And Jennifer, great to have you here with us. Thanks so much, Lou. Now, you have a journalism background, and normally the journey to CEO in any important organization is one where you start at a lower level, you work your way up, you gain knowledge. But you created CFSI in 2004. What led you to start this journey? Well, this would be the last thing on earth that I would have imagined myself doing. I thought I would be a journalist for my whole life. That's the career I expected to have. And that's probably how I most self-identify, even now, Mm -hmm. 20 some odd years later. But I went back to graduate school here at University of Chicago in public policy. I was always interested in issues around urban poverty and inequality. Mm -hmm. Um, And long story short, I ended up right before graduation at Shorebank. Shorebank was the nation's first community development bank, founded on the idea that there was business to be done and money to be made in inner city communities that other banks found too risky because they simply didn't have enough local knowledge and understanding to be able to successfully lend in those communities. When I interviewed there, I remember telling my then boss that I didn't balance my checkbook. It was my confessional. This is a very familiar story. When (laughs) I started in personal finance writing in 2009 and the Chicago Tribune asked me to do that, I said, you've got to be kidding. Have you seen my checkbook? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So really, I got into this not because of the banking. I got into this because I think that banking and the private sector in general has a really important role to play in the broader financial health of consumers, of our communities, of the broader economy, and that it's really about aligning those two things Mm -hmm. together. And so how do you become a CEO when you don't take the traditional route? You go and you found your own organization. And what an organization it is. You mentioned financial health, and that's a huge thrust behind what CFSI is doing right now. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. I'll start actually a few paces before that, because when I founded CFSI, we were really focused on what was then sort of the newest idea, which was around the un and underbanked. And Fast forward 10 years, dramatic changes in technology, a financial crisis and a recession that laid bare the idea that 
this wasn't like a niche problem about the un and underbanked. It was about people's wherewithal to lead productive and healthy financial lives. People were deeply in debt, had no savings, and it wasn't just the recession. And then Silicon Valley kind of woke up to the opportunity, and all of a sudden, it wasn't just banks anymore, right? It was all kinds of players in the marketplace. And so for all of those reasons, it became clear to us that this un and underbanked frame was no longer sufficient. It wasn't going to actually get us where we wanted to go. The big why for CFSI was to help people improve their financial lives. And we believe that the way to do that is to help them build strong day-to-day systems that enable them to build resilience and pursue opportunity. What do those day-to-day systems look like exactly? Because I'm sure we have a lot of financial services professionals listening that really want to know. Yeah. So when we think about a day-to-day system, we actually think about two components. One component is basic access, being able to get in the system in the first place, and then having a robust and high-quality set of products, services, opportunities, systems and structures. And then the other side, the other component is about the choices and decisions you as a consumer make every day. And too often we tend to focus on one of these or another of these. So in the past, and frankly even still, some bankers will say, oh, if folks just knew more, if they just behaved differently, um, it would all be okay. But how many people do we know who do everything right, are the paragon of financial behavior, but either because of a lack of access or maybe they came from another country, they don't have a credit score, lots of professionals face this issue, or maybe because of systemic racism, or maybe because of a product that actually isn't meeting a need they have, their day-to-day financial system still isn't working for them. We've got to have both of those things together for folks to really have the kind of day-to-day system they need to, again, have resilience and be able to take advantage of opportunity. You mentioned something very interesting that calls to mind the stereotype that financial services organizations have had in the past. Why would I want to deal with these people in the first place? There's a lot more money to be made when an accredited investor walks in the door with their millions of dollars. What's at stake for banks if they can get involved in the lives of people? I actually don't think this is a choice anymore for financial institutions because this is their customer. Not only your customer, this is your teller. This is many of your call center employees. It's the person taking care of your kids while you're at work. It's the dry cleaner down the street. 57% of Americans, according to our research, are not financially healthy. They are struggling in some way. Either they are spending more than they have, they aren't paying their bills on time, they don't have either short-term or long-term savings, they don't have appropriate insurance, and they don't have a regular habit of planning. And as the traditional ways in which banks used to compete with each other become irrelevant, things like location and, frankly, even price, what's going to be the basis on which banks compete with each other? Right? How do you differentiate one from another? It's a great question. Um, and we think the answer is financial health. We think that banks who understand that what their customers want from them is help in managing their financial lives and improving their financial health and are building 
end-to-end experiences around that, that those banks are going to win. Now, what does a success story look like both for the financial institution and for the person that's on that journey to financial wellness? They make it. They started at point A. They've ended up at a great point B. And the bank has gotten involved. What does that look like? I would say it's early days for folks really taking on this this business approach, but we're seeing some incredible bright lights. As an example, KeyBank, a couple of years ago, said it was going to partner with a fintech startup, Hello Wallet, which was ultimately bought by Morningstar here in Chicago, and offer their customers a financial wellness score. So Hello Wallet was really developed for the employer channel, to work with employers to say, here's a tool to help your employees better manage their money. KeyBank was Hello Wallet's first deployment outside of the employment space. And to date, KeyBank has now worked with 50,000 consumers to provide them with a financial wellness score, but also along with that, a regular set of advice and guidance that's somewhat customized based on that person's situation. And more importantly, the way in which KeyBank is able to get a 360-degree view of someone's financial life is they, through this tool, are able to have their customers port in the data from financial accounts they have elsewhere. We've been working with one of the leading credit card providers in the UK, who also does a lot of near-prime credit cards. They already have a manifesto, if you will, that describes how, as a company, they want to make sure that the end user does well with credit. But the question was, are they actually making good on the manifesto? And so we've been working with them to overlay the manifesto on the entire customer experience that they offer from the very beginning when someone applies all the way through the end in collections to see, does my experience live up Mm-hmm. to the promise I'm making about helping people do well with credit. Now, you mentioned data earlier, and I'm going to read something from one of your documents here. In today's digital world, financial account providers should have strong incentives to facilitate consumer-permissioned access to the account data they hold. That's interesting, given that consumers might be fearful, cautious, that a bank has their data and what could they do with it? And also that banks may be perceived as being proprietary about the data. This is our data. Why would we give consumers access to it? What's the real story here? Yeah, I'm so glad you made this connection because for anyone who wants to really be an advisor, little a, to their customers, you have to be able to see their whole financial lives, and you have to be able to gather it easily, simply. You know, no one wants their customer walking with their shoebox of bills and financial documents. And so I think this idea of data access is critical. I also think that increasingly, the biggest asset that financial institutions have is the data. That's really what enables them to compete. And if you think about their biggest competitors on that front, it's folks like Facebook and Google and Apple who have even more data on all of us. But I think in general, we're so happy with the services that they're providing us that frankly, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about how much data they have and how they might use it or not use it. It gets complicated. So the real question is who owns the data? Whose data is it? Yes. And section 1033 of Dodd-Frank would suggest that 
It's the customer's data. So this is really about making the system work better for consumers. You could imagine a day in the future where banks will offer an app store, if you will. They'll say, here's some other things that you might need, and maybe they're not actually my product as the bank, but I'm making them available to you, and I've got real tight relationships with these companies, and this is how we share data with them. So I like to think that the data sharing should open up greater opportunities for innovation and for competition, not less. Now, you have this wonderful concept of put your oxygen mask on first. Explain that in the context of your work and why you feel so strongly about it. One of the other benefits of a financial health strategy is helping you win the talent war, right? Getting people who come to work for you who actually care about the mission of the organization, who feel passionately about serving the customer. You know, when you go to work at a frozen yogurt shop, the perk you get for working there is free froyo. Or when you work at Macy's, you get a discount on clothes. I'm interested in the free froyo, yeah, right. <laughs> frankly. For me, it would be donuts. <laughs> but right when, when you work at a financial institution, like what's the perk? You would think it would be something related to your financial wellness, your financial health. And so, I mean, let's be honest. How effective can your frontline staff be in convincing customers that they really are trying to help them with their own financial problems if they have the same problems and don't know how to deal with them. And what we find is that employees usually mirror pretty closely the customer base. They're usually facing exactly the same set of challenges. Um, And increasingly, as employers are focused on physical wellness because they want to reduce their insurance costs, et cetera, they're starting to recognize that they won't fully succeed at that mission if they don't think about financial wellness because what's causing the high blood pressure in the first place? It's concern about money. Sometimes health problems cause financial problems. It's the number one cause of bankruptcy. It's medical bills. And just as often, it's the other direction. I don't really have enough money to afford health insurance, and so my health goes. Or I can afford health insurance, but I still can't afford the copay. Or the stress I'm feeling about my financial situation has negative health consequences. So I think these two topics are really inextricably linked. Well, you've absolutely made the case for financial health, not just professionally for the organizations, but personally for you, for me, for all the people listening. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jennifer. Thanks, Lou. Jennifer Tesher is the president and CEO of the Center for Financial Services Innovation, and you can look for her on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, the great differentiator for banks is understanding financial health. CFSI research shows that 57% of Americans are not financially healthy and struggling in some way. This percentage includes the very people who work at your bank, from tellers to call center employees. Banks that can create an end-to-end experience that helps consumers improve on financial health are going to win. Number two, it benefits banks to share their consumer data with the consumers themselves. A system that's open and allows consumers to both access their data and input it will allow for greater opportunities for innovation and help the system to work better for bank customers. And number three, to win the talent war and attract passionate, engaged employees, work with your staff to develop financial wellness strategies that run in tandem with physical wellness strategies. 
Keep in mind that blood pressure can cause financial problems. And on the flip side, financial problems can lead to health problems. The issues of financial wellness and physical wellness are inextricably linked. Now, as our podcast makes clear, it is very critical for banks and financial institutions to address the financial wellness of their customers. But it's also equally critical for employers to take a look at that picture. Now, just prior to arriving at BAI, I wrote a piece for U.S. News and World Report that ran in May 2016 that took a look at the financial wellness picture in terms of what employers can do to encourage it. And here I wanted to share some findings from a Merrill Lynch Workplace Benefits Report. After interviews with more than 1,200 employees ages 18 to 69, the report reached several key conclusions. First, Soaring healthcare costs prevent employees from improving their finances, and second, employers play a key role in supporting financial well-being, and benefits should address all aspects of their employees' financial lives. That's something to think about, not only in terms of the way banks and financial institutions address their customers, but how we address our employees as well. And thanks for tuning in. A couple of reminders before we sign off. As you check out our archive of podcasts, be sure to connect with BAI on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. And registration is now open for BAI Beacon, which will take place October 4th and 5th in Atlanta. To learn more about the fast-paced financial services conference, be sure to visit BAI.org. Thanks again. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.